0: Welcome to the Fast Track of Innovation, the Data Driven Podcast. Here, data isn't just numbers, it's your superpower, sparking stories of success from bites to breakthroughs. Dive deep into insights from the Data Driven Conference, where data heroes assemble. Ready to supercharge your data journey? Strap in. It's time to get Data Driven. sponsored by Reltio. Reltio's AI-powered data unification and management cloud capabilities encompasses entity resolution, multi-domain SaaS, master data management, or MDM, and 360 data products. RELTIO helps enterprises transform poor quality data from disparate sources into unified, trusted, and interoperable data. My name is Chris Detzel. And Ansh, I'm going to let you introduce yourself real quick.
1: All right. My name is Ansh Kanwar. I am the Senior Vice President of Technology with Reltio, but also serve as the Chief Data Wrangler, if that <laughs> is a term. And it's, uh, it's a pleasure talking to you, Chris. Uh, what yeah, are we talking you-
0: about? Yeah. So, one of the things I know that you have a passion around is this concept of data mesh data fabric and those kinds of things. So I would love to talk more about that today. What do you think?
1: Yeah, that's a good topic. It's a very contemporary topic. And lots of our CDOs, CDOs, they are grappling with exactly what it means, how to adopt that into their organizations. How can they drive ultimately towards these business outcomes that have been elusive for in a lot of cases and developing a systematic approach to that. I think these, some of what we're gonna talk about is technology, but a lot of this is about the approach. It's about uh, the philosophy really that is applied to something that is as wide and as as sort of varied as as the data landscape is in today's modern enterprise.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the concepts of like data mesh and fabric and explain a little bit about how they differ? Because I hear it a lot in the industry.
1: Yeah, yeah. Let's, let, let's take them one by one, but let's actually yeah. step back a little bit. Even these are proposed solutions to a problem. Let, let's just make sure we understand what the problem is. So in the analytics space, data is produced by your operational systems. And this data gets, in one way or another, transferred to a system that's more amenable to doing reporting, to doing analytics, to actually building models or running long, long-running queries on that data so that value can be extracted from that data. All that is the analytical workload. Over time, different architectures have emerged to connect this operational side of the house with the analytical side of the house. And in the very beginning, there was the relational database that was running under your web server and Mm -hmm. you ran all your reports on that database. Obvious downside to that is that your database gets overloaded. You may not have... The data in the right format to be able to run reports so you're now running transformations within the database and so on and so forth this was in the dark ages which was what 30 years ago right yeah yeah then we took a step forward and created data warehouses which were you stream data out of your operational databases and in one way or another created a copy of that data post transformation in these data warehouses you had a new role then, you had OLTP administrators and you had OLAP administrators and the OLTP databases, they specialized in transactions and getting them, getting those completed in real time. Whereas OLAP became more and more about transforming that data using start schemas and other OLAP as a as an approach. And then you have this sort of bifurcation of types of database administrators, if you will, people who started specializing in the analytics side of the house versus people who specialize in keeping uh, the OLTP systems as optimized as possible. Then we take one more step forward. Now we start, these data warehouses become bigger, more capable. uh, and, And the way they are driven was that what is the report that you want at the end of it? And based on that, you create a schema that then fits that report And even though these data warehouses were much bigger, much more capable, they were still constrained by the compute power and just the storage underneath of the machine or the machines or the cluster. Uh, And clearly I'm talking about just pre-cloud. So as cloud technologies came, came to fore, actually, Hadoop was probably the third step where this notion of distributed computing started to come in where compute... And they, uh, compute and storage were disconnected, and they essentially became infinite resources, right? So Google wrote the HDFS paper, and Yahoo implemented Hadoop and open sourced it. This was, I think, in 2006, and that's where it, it really that started the era of big data. And almost anything that we talk about, that you and I talk about on on the in this conversation, that's that has to do with either Hadoop or children of Hadoop, essentially, mm-hmm. right? And so that led to this whole notion of, okay, so far we've been dealing with structured data, but we can actually put a lot of data down that may be structured, may be unstructured, this sort of notion of this data lake. Like we will compute later. Storage is cheap. We can fill up storage with all sorts of data sources. And then when we want to compute something, we'll run an ETL process. We'll get data out of the data lake into a data warehouse and then uh, actually consume it. Now, the upside of it is you almost have an infinite number of possibilities what you can do with the data. The downside of it is now you have something called dark data. You have data like living in these (laughs) data lakes that's just massive. Some studies estimated that 90% of data, 95% of data in, in, in these data lakes is unused. It's dark data. Gartner actually invented that term. And so you fast forward a little bit more. Now the cloud data warehouse era begins, I think really Amazon Redshift and this uh, notion of massive parallel processing, which in in a way it was was a return of structured data. It was the return of relational capabilities, but at a really massive scale. And so you fast forward then a little bit more and you get to Snowflake, which really is the culmination of all, all of these trends. And you end up with, the lake house, essentially, which has hybrid capability, both between a data lake, which is syncing a lot of data perhaps for future use, and then the ability of to ODS, the operational data store in, in contemporary terminology, and then the data warehouse, which is, has the pre-structured data for generating reports or analytics downstream. So that's the history and kind of the the landscape in which we find ourselves now. But as we've evolved. From a, through these things, organizationally, because the complexity of each one of these generations, if you will, has increased, organizationally, people who are dealing with each step of this pipeline, if you will, there are more of those people. The jobs are more specialized and the producers of the data have become more and more separated from the consumers of the data, right? The producers don't even know sometimes what their data is being used to affect a change, a sort of a business outcome at the end, people who are perhaps producing reports don't have a full understanding or appreciation of where the data is generated and all the transformation that happens in, in that sort of process of transitioning this data from source to destination. And so that's it became more of a cultural issue in the data landscape, as much of a cultural issue, I should say, in the data landscape as it was a technological issue. So does that help? Does that, it was a long-winded answer, but I just wanted to set the tone for... No, uh, I, th- I think that's you know. good. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think as you look at kind of the producer and, and the users of the data or whatever, mm-hmm. is there like an example? When I think of, and I could be completely off, but when I think of an example, I think of somebody at like a, let's say a retail store is yep. putting data in from maybe a loyalty program or customer right. or whatever, mm-hmm. and... They really don't know that person that's producing that data or getting, maybe I'm completely wrong, has no idea what they're going to go, what's going to be done with that customer data or whatever loyalty. And then that data then goes up to somebody that, you know, is using that data for some kind of business outcome. Is that kind of.
1: Yeah. Let's make it more real. I think I think that's a yeah. great, great question. So let's make it more real. So it's the, the creation of the data. I'm not so much talking about the person who's who's entering data into the system. Right? But let's say we're talking about a large uh, retail uh, a chain of retail stores yeah. and a lot of transaction data from point of sale systems that's streaming into the team that's responsible for the data that comes from point of sale systems right? Okay. That's the team that that I, in, in, in my description before, is the producer of the okay. data, right? Okay. And what they're responsible for is in, in modern language, data language, we would say they're responsible for the transaction or point of sale data set or point of sale data product. And we can talk yeah. about data products here in the future, but that's what they're producing. But at that point, that data set, is in an operational system. And there's a data DBA somewhere who's, whose job it is now to take the data from the operational system and get it into the data lake or the data warehouse or the mm-hmm. lake house, right? And so that person maybe is close enough to the team that's responsible for the point-of-sale data, but it's a different team, right? Their primary yeah. purpose is to get data into the data warehouse. They are the ETL people. Yeah. Once the data gets into the data warehouse, there's a separate team that's looking at now creating the data sets that can then be consumed downstream. So that team is now one more step removed yeah. from uh, from the from the person who was responsible for the ingestion. And large companies, these are not people. These are, they're still people, but they're not individuals. They are teams of individuals, teams. right? Yeah. <laughs> and now you get to a person who's responsible for going from this lake house into a specific data set that will be consumed by report. That's one more step. And then finally, there's a Tableau or some yep. sort of you know person who's actually creating the report. So even in a simple scenario where you're trying to go from, okay, we have all these transactions coming in from point-of-sale terminals and we want to produce a report that says how many of thing X did we sell, Yeah, right? In a large enough company, you have all of these steps connecting those two things. And so you have these teams of data engineers, data scientists, data operators that all collaborate to produce this outcome. And what happens is, for every step of the way, you lose context. Yeah. Right. So you may you in a perfect scenario, everybody may meet and have standards and know each other so that the, the report works perfectly. But now what if the point of sale team, not even the data team, let's say the the facilities team, they put in a new point of sale terminal. That's going to produce yeah. different data. That's sure. going to be a different data structure in that particular data product, perhaps. Who's going to normalize that before that goes to the data warehouse? Is it the ingestion person, the person responsible for ingesting the data or transforming the data? Who's um, actually enforcing governance to make sure that the count of that particular product, regardless of which point of sale system uh, is in use, is actually accurate? Because that's what the business user actually needs, right? So it becomes a question of translating requirements, really. All the way from the use or from the usage of that requirement back into implications on the sources of that data. And that's a pretty hard thing to solve, uh, has been a hard thing to solve (laughs) traditionally. This kind of brings us to the concept of, and let's today just focus on data
0: mesh around where are we now or where are we thinking about or this concept of, I assume data mesh is where this now, this thinking is coming in. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, yeah. So to get to the question that you started yeah. us with, finally, is Samak <laughs> Tekani, who's the originator of the idea of data mesh. She wrote a couple of papers, and the first time I read those papers, it was like my brain was on fire. It was yeah, this this is obviously such a great idea because mm. she describes the problem as a socio-technical problem which is the story that I just laid out for you. That's exactly what it is, right? So it's a little bit about technology and the evolution of technology, but a lot of it has to do with the dynamics of the teams and how sort of information passes from one team to another. Mm -hmm. And if you, so I'm an engineer by training, right? So for me, this is very similar to the agile revolution that hit software engineering uh, about 20 years ago. Yeah. And the notion there was creating software is not hard, but creating good software seems very hard. Creating timely software seems very hard. Creating bug-free software seems very hard. And more and more, the people who are creating software, they're getting relegated into these roles of coders. Yeah. Whereas, and, and whereas what is suffering is the value that's being generated out of the software industry. So it was a big sort of wake-up call. And it really became that how do we, to engineer better code, you have to, understand the, the social dynamics of producing code. That's really what Agile is about, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where the data landscape was a few years ago when the data mesh concept started crystallizing. And in in very simple terms, the core of, of a data mesh approach is that data is a product. Data needs to be published as a product, which mm-hmm. means that it has a life cycle. It has Product management principles applied to it. What, how, what is it that makes a good product? It's not about producing the product. It's about consumption of the product. Making your data be ready for consumption means, what does that mean, right? Perhaps it means describing your data in a way that anybody who's looking at it can, can understand what it is, Either either by looking at it, but more importantly, by as a machine, sort of trying to understand all the context for that data. Is the data fresh? Are the producers signing their name on it and saying, yep, this is the best that I have to offer. And it was, here are the data sources that I used to build this data set, or here's the the quality, here's some assessment of quality, completeness, right? Any of the seven metrics of, of data quality. Here's what I'm publishing for consumption. And if you do that, then suddenly the thing that you're producing is, it has ownership, and it's closer to the team that is actually producing the data. Now, the consumers of that data have choices, right? They they need to be able to find this data. Maybe there are multiple data sets that have similar data, but they have choices because they can make a make an informed choice based on all the data about the data, the metadata that's been published with the data and so on. Okay. And then there's other principles that we could talk through. But for me, the most important principle is that of data as a product And really being able to define ownership, very clear ownership, despite all the technical underpinnings, perhaps being even the same that they were before. Can we go back? So
0: can you give me an example, like using the retail kind of Mm -hmm. point of sale type stuff, like in this data mesh kind of thinking, what does that look like? You gave us an example of the past. What would it look like today?
1: Yeah. So the so in in our example the very first team the the team that owns point-of-sale data yeah right they may they may want to publish a data product it could be all transactions all point-of-sale transactions that could be a data set it could be purchases it could be returns as two separate data sets right it could be purchases returns and price lookups those are things you do on a point-of-sale terminal right yeah and they could do purchases, and maybe discounts, discounts probably an attribute. But the idea is that the team who has the most context about what is happening at the point of sale terminal can decide what, how much of that data they're going to put together and publish as a data set, right? They can say, we we publish our data set once a day. So for every day, they're going to bunch up these transactions and they're going to publish them. They can say, we guarantee that data for the last year will always be available. And what's their responsibility to make sure that happens? But I think perhaps where you're going is give us a little bit more like how. So it's just yeah. pretty abstract. Okay, where does this data who's get? Who's doing off? this? Yeah, who's doing this? Who, who's doing this? So it is the team that's creating the data, right? They, they are in this, in our example, the point of sale data team. They yeah. are ones publishing this data. And the technical system in which this data gets published is actually not that, it's not specified in any of the data mesh papers. The technical implementation is left open. So one simple way of of publishing a data set is to produce, once, once you've pulled the data out of the operational systems, you stick them on a blob store like S3, right? Yeah. That's, that's the easiest way of doing it. You could publish it into Snowflake. You could publish it into a different relational database if you choose. Or you could publish it through an MDM system like ReltiO, where the data is guaranteed to be always evergreen and be available via an API on the other end there's a few concepts that we can discuss that that have to do with the publishing format and kind of the, the flexibility around that that the data mesh implies but for a second let's just stay on the technology alternatives yeah another important concept in the data mesh folklore is uh, of discoverability so it's it, it offers you it doesn't constrain you in where you're publishing data but it does say that one of the core principles has to be, you have to be able to discover the data. Consumers have to be able to discover the data, which means okay. that somewhere you're publishing the metadata about the data. You're saying such and such point of sale data or the three different data sets that I described, they live at a certain location. Mm-hmm. And typically what, where you would do that is in a data catalog, because the data catalog is designed for the purpose of, hey, there's many distributed data sets all across the organization. I want a starting point where I can see what all is on offer or a data marketplace kind of concept right and so the notion would be that you discover data through the catalog which points you to where the, physically the data lives it, po- it gives you that address and then you can access that data hopefully through a governance framework which makes sure that people who are authorized to access the data can access the data but the specifics of that are not really uh, codified in the data mesh papers
0: Got it. So you're from Reltio. we're both actually from Reltio. Where do you think like MDM capabilities like Reltio fit into that data mesh architecture yeah. and what role does it play? You slightly touched on it,
1: yeah. but yeah. not really. Yeah, an MDM system deals with entity types. It, it, it could be customers, it could be uh, locations, it could be suppliers, pick the noun within your enterprise, right? And the purpose of an MDM system is to take data or source or accept data from multiple sources, be able to deduplicate that data, cleanse that data, to enrich that data, and really put out the best version of that data or the most truthful interpretation of that data for consumption downstream, right? So if you think about it, data set really... It has been traditional data warehousing concepts. It has We have fact data and you have dimension data. And I still remember our, the, the, the data warehouse book. It goes, your data warehouse is only as good as your dimension data, which means that essentially all the nouns in your system, they give meaning to the transactions because otherwise you don't know who's doing what. And so having a high fidelity understanding of entity data and MDM or mastering data has been traditionally the process that allows for that to happen right and you can then associate your your nouns with the facts or the verbs or the activities that happen or behaviors that you're seeing and you can create any sort of reporting high fidelity reporting combining these things together this is data warehouse 101 right nothing new there But an MDM system, because it it has all of these characteristics, it becomes a very natural place to publish entity type of data products. So if customer being the most common entity type of data product, so if you want information about your customers, you can either publish a data set every day or every month or whatever frequency you choose, or you can publish it in an MDM system, which is evergreen. The data is always coming in for in real time from multiple sources and it's available on the other end for querying in multiple different ways. An MDM system, very much like what I described with the Cloud Data Warehouse, you can integrate the metadata from the MDM system into a catalog. And so you have discoverability through this sort of interdependence with a catalog, but you have this amazing ability of to publish a data set that is always ready to be consumed. And so that's a one-two punch, I think, of how MDM will evolve and fit into the data mesh over time.
0: No, this has been great. And look, I I didn't even get to ask like 10 of my questions. So we'll have to get you on again. But thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another data-driven podcast. I'm Chris Detzel and... Ansh Canwer. Thanks, Ansh. Take care, everybody. Welcome to the Fast Track of Innovation, the Data Driven Podcast. Here, data isn't just numbers, it's your superpower, sparking stories of success from bites to breakthroughs. Dive deep into insights from the Data Driven Conference, where data heroes assemble. Ready to supercharge your data journey? Strap in. It's time to get Data Driven. Sponsored by Reltio. Reltio's AI-powered data unification and management cloud capabilities encompasses Entity Resolution, Multi-Domain SaaS, Master Data Management, or MDM, and 360 data products. Reltio helps enterprises transform poor quality data from disparate sources into unified, trusted, and interoperable my name is Chris Detzel. And Anj, I'm gonna let you introduce yourself real quick.
1: All right. My name is Anj Ganwar. I am the senior vice president of technology with Reltio, but also serve as the chief data wrangler, if that <laughs> is a term. And it's uh it's a pleasure talking to you, Chris. Uh, what yeah, are we
0: talking you... about? Yeah, so one of the things I know that you have a passion around is this concept of data mesh, data fabric, and those kinds of things. So I'd love to talk more about that today. What do you think?
1: Yeah, that's a good topic. It's a very contemporary topic. And lots of our CDOs, CDOs, they are grappling with exactly what it means, how to adopt that into their organizations, how can they drive ultimately towards these business outcomes that have been elusive for a lot of cases and developing a systematic approach to that. I think these, some of what we're going to talk about is technology, but a lot of this is about the approach. It's about uh, the philosophy, really, that is applied to something that is as wide and as as sort of varied as the data landscape is in today's modern enterprise.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the concepts of like data mesh and fabric and explain a little bit about how they differ? Yeah. I hear it a lot in the industry.
1: Yeah, yeah. Let's, let, let's take them one by one, but let's actually yeah. step back a little bit. Even these are proposed solutions to a problem. Let, let's just make sure we understand what the problem is. So in the analytics space, data is produced by your operational systems and this data gets in one way or another transferred to a system that's more amenable to doing reporting, to doing analytics, to actually building models or running long, long running queries on that data so that value can be extracted from that data. All that is the analytical workload. Over time, different architectures have emerged to connect this operational side of the house with the analytical side of the house. And in the very beginning, there was the relational database that was running under your web server and mm-hmm. you ran all your reports on that database. Obvious downside to that is that your database gets overloaded. You may not have... The data in the right format to be able to run reports so you're now running transformations within the database and so on and so forth this was in the dark ages which was what 30 years ago right yeah yeah then we took a step forward and created data warehouses which were you stream data out of your operational databases and in one way or another created a copy of that data post transformation in these data warehouses you had a new role then. You had OLTP administrators and you had OLAP administrators. And the OLTP databases, they specialized in transactions and getting them, getting those completed in real time. Whereas OLAP became more and more about transforming that data using start schemas and other OLAP as a as an approach. And then you have this sort of bifurcation of types of database administrators, if you will, people who started specializing in the analytics side of the house versus people who specialize in keeping uh, the OLTP systems as optimized as possible. Then we take one more step forward. Now we start, these data warehouses become bigger, more capable. um, and, And the way they are driven was that what is the report that you want at the end of it? And based on that, you create a schema that then fits that report And even though these data warehouses were much bigger, much more capable, they were still constrained by the compute power and just the storage underneath of the machine or the machines or the cluster. Uh, And clearly I'm talking about just pre-cloud. So as cloud technologies came, came to fore, actually, Hadoop was probably the third step where this notion of distributed computing started to come in where compute... And uh, compute and storage were disconnected, and they essentially became infinite resources, right? So Google wrote the HDFS paper, and Yahoo implemented Hadoop and open sourced it. This was, I think, in 2006, and that's where it, it really that started the era of big data. And almost anything that we talk about, that you and I talk about on, on the in this conversation, that's that has to do with either Hadoop or children of Hadoop, essentially, mm-hmm. right? And so that led to this whole notion of, okay, so far we've been dealing with structured data, but we can actually put a lot of data down that may be structured, may be unstructured, this sort of notion of this data lake. Like we will compute later. Storage is cheap. We can fill up storage with all sorts of data sources. And then when we want to compute something, we'll run an ETL process. We'll get data out of the data lake into a data warehouse and then uh, actually consume it. Now, the upside of it is you almost have an infinite number of possibilities what you can do with the data. The downside of it is now you have something called dark data. You have data like living in these (laughs) data lakes that's just massive. Some studies estimated that 90% of data, 95% of data in, in, in these data lakes is unused. It's dark data. Gartner actually invented that term. And so you fast forward a little bit more. Now the cloud data warehouse era begins, I think really Amazon redshift and this uh, notion of massive parallel processing, which in in a way it was was a return of structured data. It was the return of relational capabilities, but at a really massive scale. And so you fast forward then a little bit more and you get to Snowflake, which really is the culmination of all, all of these trends. And you end up with, the lake house, essentially, which has hybrid capability, both between a data lake, which is syncing a lot of data perhaps for future use, and then the ability of to ODS, the operational data store in, in contemporary terminology, and then the data warehouse, which is, has the pre-structured data for generating reports or analytics downstream. So that's the history and kind of the the landscape in which we find ourselves now. But as we've evolved from, through these things, um, organizationally, because the complexity of each one of these generations, if you will, has increased, organizationally, people who are dealing with each step of this pipeline, if you will, they're, they're more of those people, the jobs are more specialized, and the producers of the data have become more and more separated from the consumers of the data. Right, the producers don't even know sometimes what their data is being used to affect a change, a, a sort of a business outcome at the end. People who are perhaps producing reports don't have a full understanding or appreciation of where the data is generated and all the transformation that happens in in that sort of process of transitioning this data from source to destination. And so that's uh, it, it. Became more of a cultural. Issue in the data landscape, as much of a cultural issue, I should say, in the data landscape as it was a technological issue. So, does that help? Does that, it was a long winded answer, but I just wanted to set the tone for. No, uh, I, th- I think that's you know, good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think as you look at kind of the producer and, and the users of the data or whatever, mm-hmm. is there like an example? When I think of, and I could be completely off, but when I think of an example, I think of somebody at like a, let's say a retail store is putting data in from maybe a loyalty program or customer or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they really don't know that person that's producing that data or getting, maybe I'm completely wrong, has no idea what they're going to go, what's going to be done with that customer data or whatever loyalty. And then that data then goes up to somebody that, you know, is using that data for some kind of business outcome. Is that kind of,
1: yeah, let's make it more real. I think I think that's a yeah. great, great question. So let's make it more real. So it's the, the creation of the data, I'm not so much talking about the person who's, who's entering data into the system, right? but let's say we're talking about a large uh, retail, uh, a chain of retail stores yeah. and a lot of transaction data from point of sale systems that's streaming into the team that's responsible for the data that comes from point of sale systems right? Yeah, that's okay. the team that that I, in, in, in my description before, is the producer of the data, okay. right? Okay. And what they're responsible for is in, in modern language, data language, we would say they're responsible for the transaction or point of sale data set or point of sale data product. And we can talk yeah. about data products here in the future, but that's what they're producing. But at that point, that data set, is in an operational system. And there's a data DBA somewhere whose job it is now to take the data from the operational system and get it into the data lake or the data warehouse or the Mm -hmm. lake house, right? And so that person maybe is close enough to the team that's responsible for the point-of-sale data, but it's a different team, right? Their primary purpose is to get data into the data warehouse. They are the ETL people. Once the data gets into the data warehouse, there's a separate team that's looking at now... Creating the data sets that can then be consumed downstream. So that team is now one more step removed yeah. from uh from the from the person who was responsible for the ingestion. In large companies, these are not people. These are they're still people, but they're not individuals, they are teams of individuals, teams. right? Yeah. <laughs> and now you get to a person who's responsible for going from this lake house into a specific data set that will be consumed by report. That's one more step. And then finally, there's a Tableau or some yep. sort of you know person who's actually creating the report. So even in a simple scenario where you're trying to go from, okay, we have all these transactions coming in from point-of-sale terminals and we want to produce a report that says how many of thing X did we sell, Yeah, right? In a large enough company, you have all of these steps connecting those two things. And so you have these teams of data engineers, data scientists, data operators that all collaborate to produce this outcome. And what happens is, for every step of the way, you lose context, Yeah. right? So you may, you in a perfect scenario, everybody may meet and have standards and know each other so that the, the report works perfectly. But now what if the point of sale team, not even the data team, let's say the, the facilities team, they put in a new point of sale terminal, that's going to produce yeah. different data. That's sure. going to be a different data structure in that particular data product, perhaps. Who's going to normalize that before that goes to the data warehouse? Is it the ingestion person, the person responsible for ingesting the data or transforming the data? Who's um, actually enforcing governance to make sure that the count of that particular product, regardless of which point of sale system uh, is in use, is actually accurate? Because that's what the business user actually needs, right? So it becomes a question of translating requirements, really all the way from the use or from the usage of that requirement back into implications on the sources of that data. And that's a pretty hard thing to solve, uh, has been a hard thing to solve traditionally. Yeah? This kind of brings us to the concept of,
0: and let's today just focus on data mesh around yeah, yeah. where are we now, or where are yeah. we thinking about, or yeah. this concept of, I assume data mesh is where this now, that yeah. this thinking is coming in. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about that?
1: Yeah, yeah. So to get to the question that you started, with, yeah. finally, is <laughs> Zamar Tigani, who's the originator of the idea of data mesh. She wrote a couple of papers. And the first time I read those papers, it was like my brain was on fire. It was, yeah. this, this is obviously such a great idea because mm. she describes the problem as a socio-technical problem which is the story that I just laid out for you. That's exactly yeah. what it is, right? It's so it's a little bit about technology and the evolution of technology, but a lot of it has to do with the dynamics of the teams and how sort of information passes from one team to another. Mm-hmm. And if you, so I, I'm an engineer by training, right? So for me, this is very similar to the agile revolution that hit software engineering uh, about 20 years ago. Yeah, And the notion there was creating software is not hard, but creating good software seems very hard. Creating timely software seems very hard. Creating bug-free software seems very hard. And more and more, the people who are creating software, they're getting relegated into these roles of coders, Yeah. Whereas the and, and whereas what is suffering is the value that's being generated out of the software industry. So it was a big sort of wake-up call, and it really became that how do we, to engineer better code, you have to understand the, the social dynamics of producing code. That's really what Agile is about, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where the data landscape was a few years ago when the data mesh concept started crystallizing. And in in very simple terms, the core of, of a data mesh approach is that data is a product. Data needs to be published as a product, which mm-hmm. means that it has a life cycle. It has Product management principles applied to it. What what is it that makes a good product? It's not about producing the product. It's about consumption of the product. Making your data be ready for consumption means, what does that mean, right? Perhaps it means describing your data in a way that anybody who's looking at it can can understand what it is, Either, either by looking at it, but more importantly, by as a machine, sort of trying to understand all the context for that data. Is the data fresh? Are the producers yeah. signing their name on it and saying, yep, this is the best that I have to offer. And it was, here are the data sources that I used to build this data set, or here's the here's the quality, here's some assessment of quality, completeness, right? Any of the seven metrics of, of data quality. Here's what I'm publishing for consumption. And if you do that, then suddenly the thing that you're producing is, it has ownership and it's closer to the team that is actually producing the data. Now, the consumers of that data have choices, right? They they need to be able to find this data. Maybe there are multiple data sets that have similar data, but they have choices because they can make, a, make an informed choice based on all the data about the data, the metadata that's been published with the data and so on. Okay. And then there's other principles that we could talk through. But for me, the most important principle is that of data as a product And really being able to define ownership, very clear ownership, despite all the technical underpinnings, perhaps being even the same that they were before.
0: Can we go back? So can you give me an example, like using the retail kind of Mm -hmm. point of sale type stuff, like in this data mesh kind of thinking, what does that look like? You gave us an example of the past. What would it look like today?
1: Yeah. So... The so in, in our example, the very first team, the, the team that owns point of sale data. Yeah. Right. They may they may want to publish a data product. It could be all transactions, all point of sale transactions. That could be a data set. It could be purchases. It could be returns as two separate data sets, right? It could be purchases, returns, and price lookups. Those are things you do on a point of sale terminal, right? Yeah. And they could do purchases, and maybe discounts, discounts probably an attribute. But the idea is that the team who has the most context about what is happening at the point of sale terminal can decide what, how much of that data they're going to put together and publish as a data set, right? They can say, "We, we, we publish our data set once a day. So for every day, they're going to bunch up these transactions and they're going to publish them. They can say, we guarantee that data for the last year will always be available. And what's their responsibility to make sure that happens? But I think perhaps where you're going is give us a little bit more like how. So it's just yeah. pretty abstract. Okay, where does this data get? Who's come doing from? this? Yeah, who's doing this? Who, who's doing this? So it is the team that's creating the data, right? They are in this, in our example, the point of sale data team. They are once publishing this data. And the technical system in which this data gets published is actually not that, it's not specified in any of the data mesh papers. The technical implementation is left open. So one simple way of of publishing a data set is to produce, once once you've pulled the data out of the operational systems, you stick them on a blob store like S3, right? That's, That's the easiest way of doing it. You could publish it into Snowflake. You could publish it into a different relational database if you choose. Or you could publish it through an MDM system like ReltiO, where the data is guaranteed to be always evergreen and be available via an API on the other end. There's a few concepts that we can discuss that that have to do with the publishing format and kind of the, the flexibility around that, that the data mesh implies. But for a second, let's just stay on the technology alternatives. Yeah. Another important concept in the data mesh folklore is uh, of discoverability. So it's it, it offers you, it doesn't constrain you in where you're publishing data, but it does say that one of the core principles has to be, you have to be able to discover the data. Consumers have to be able to discover the data, which means okay. that somewhere you're publishing the metadata about the data. You're saying such and such point of sale data or the three different data sets that I described, they live at a certain location. Mm-hmm. And typically what, where you would do that is in a data catalog, because a data catalog is designed for the purpose of, hey, there's many distributed data sets all across the organization. I want a starting point where I can see what all is on offer or a data marketplace kind of concept. right? And so the notion would be that you discover data through the catalog, which points you to where physically the data lives. It it gives you that address, and then you can access that data, hopefully through a governance framework, which makes sure that people who are authorized to access the data can access the data. But the specifics of that are not really uh, codified in the data mesh papers.
0: Got it. So you're from Relteo, we're both actually from Relteo. Where do you think like MDM capabilities like Relteo fit into that data mesh architecture yeah. and what role does it play? You slightly touched on it,
1: yeah, but yeah. not really. Yeah. An MDM system deals with entity types. It, it, it could be customers, it could be uh, locations, it could be suppliers. Pick the noun within your enterprise, Right. And the purpose of an MDM system is to take data or source or accept data from multiple sources, be able to deduplicate that data, cleanse that data, to enrich that data, and really put out the best version of that data or the most truthful interpretation of that data for consumption downstream, right? So if you think about it, data set really... It has been traditional data warehousing concepts. It has we have fact data and you have dimension data. And I still remember our the, the the data warehouse book, it goes, your data warehouse is only as good as your dimension data, which means that essentially all the nouns in your system, they give meaning to the transactions because otherwise you don't know who's doing what. And so having a high fidelity understanding of entity data and mdm or mastering data has been traditionally the process that allows for that to happen right and you can then associate your your nouns with the facts or the verbs or the activities that happen or behaviors that you're seeing and you can create any sort of reporting high fidelity reporting combining these things together this is data warehouse 101 right nothing new there But an MDM system, because it it has all of these characteristics, it becomes a very natural place to publish entity type of data products. So if customer being the most common entity type of data product, so if you want information about your customers, you can either publish a data set every day or every month or whatever frequency you choose, or you can publish it in an MDM system, which is evergreen. The data is always coming in for in real time from multiple sources and it's available on the other end for querying in multiple different ways. An MDM system, very much like what I described with the cloud data warehouse, you can integrate the metadata from the MDM system into a catalog. And so you have discoverability through this sort of interdependence with a catalog, but you have this amazing ability of to publish a data set that is always ready to be consumed. And so that's a one-two punch, I think, of how MDM will evolve and fit into the data mesh over time.
0: No, this has been great. Look, I I didn't even get to ask like 10 of my questions, so we'll have to get you on again. But thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another data-driven podcast. I'm Chris Detzel and...
1: Ansh Canwer. Thanks, Ansh. Take care, everybody.